Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. It is Thursday, the 11th day of April 2019. We're doing this a little bit later today. We had a really busy day at the office, and so we're going to get this up in the evening rather than first thing in the morning. With that, we're going to talk about technology. We're going to talk about Lockheed. We're going to talk about Boeing. We're going to talk about SpaceX. We might even talk about Uber, and we're going to probably also kind of work in a few things about robocalls. Now, as you know, because of our extensive holdings, we always do our disclaimer. We're going to take a quick 60-second break. You get through this, and we'll be right back. Connecting Dots is a production of Fixed Cost Financial, the home of fixed cost investing. All rights reserved. Rebroadcast or distribution prohibited without expressed written authorization. Connecting Dots is for educational use only. Investment performance is not guaranteed. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This broadcast does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation or needs. Nothing should be construed as an individual recommendation. Always read and all applicable information carefully before making an investment decision. Investments are not bank guaranteed, not FDIC insured, and may lose value. Due to our extensive holdings and that of our clients, you should assume that we have a position in all companies discussed and thus a conflict of interest should be assumed. Number one. Well, one of the things that I enjoyed watching today, you sent me a link and uh, SpaceX. I mean, talk about technology. Holy mother of goodness gracious. Was that amazing to me? Yeah, the SpaceX heavy launch, fal- heavy Falcon launch system or, or whatever it's called is um, pretty good. It, they've successfully landed all three of the uh, rockets and it seems to be able to do its job. I mean, it's just it's just plain cool. And one of the things I, I really enjoyed is that the video production, the people that are giving the commentary, I mean, look, these are not your typical talking heads like, Walter Cronkite or Wally Sherrar or anybody of today's era. I mean, these are just young people that are enthusiastic about the program, people applauding, cheering, and I got to give them credit. It was it was a fun thing to watch besides just the technology and, and what they did. Yeah, I mean, all of those people work at SpaceX and they are engineers or something. You know, they're all involved in the project in some way, shape, form or another. And I don't know if you saw, but the Wall Street Journal, I've got it pulled up on our screen as we're talking tonight. And uh, again, for those of you who are new, I'm Paul Truesdell. And who are you? I'm Paul Truesdell as well. Oh, we're kind of, kind of confusing. Uh, but you're a junior, right? Nope. I'm the second. Yeah, we don't do that nonsense. Anyways, here's the bottom line. If you look on the Wall Street Journal, guess what you don't see on tonight's news? I, I assume they don't have a big headline for SpaceX, even though it's probably one of the crowning achievements in rocket engineering that they were able to successfully build and and deploy this crazy system all you know basically it, the one test and one and one successful launch and it's ready to go i mean it's pretty fascinating yeah i want to come back to that and i want to say that but what we do have on the wall street journal and online is an article can jeff bezos make money in space 
That's not the, that should not be the headline. The headline, we, we were talking earlier, uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, one and all. My son and I were out walking and, and we were talking about years ago, they would have, you would do ticker tape parades for people like Jeff Bezos who did what we just saw. I mean, you would. You would have unbelievable things. You have uh, Charles Lindbergh. If you know your history, Charles Lindbergh flew across the Atlantic, right? You know, it was it was a big deal, and they threw him a ticker tape praise a hero. Elon Musk and SpaceX just launched a three rocket rocket. <laughs> I mean, they three three engines on this what, this heavy rocket. This is what you need to go to the moon, to Mars, and everything else. I mean, you, you got to have a big, heavy payload, right? Not only did the two side rockets disengage, and then they fired up, and then they had wings that came out. Now, they were small, but they're wings, and then they landed almost perfectly simultaneously within a quarter second, half a second of each other, back at the Kennedy Space Center in Florida. That was, I mean, that is mind-boggling, but they've been doing that for a while. Here's what they did do. What was the other thing? The third stage came down and did what? Yeah, so it did the same thing. You know, the rockets have two, you know, booster rockets and one center core rocket that kind of, uh, it, it, it detaches, it's the primary stage, it detaches later. And because its trajectory is so far off, it has to land on a barge in the middle of the Atlantic, 500 miles off the coast. And it's not just any barge. They call it the drone. Yeah, they have a no drone people. barge out there. Yeah, there's no people on board. It's, it's unoccupied for obvious reasons. Because the first one they tried, it crashed. <laughs> well, what, 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 but it, it crashed, but it didn't... It kind of crashed with a unique... It landed. It hit the target, though. Yeah, I think it hit too quickly, and then it fell off into the ocean. Uh, you know, for a lot of us, that we, that's like having a leaner in horseshoes. I mean, you did pretty damn good. Second shot, they nailed it. Yep, they did. I, I just find that amazing. So one of the items I want to talk a little bit about is everybody, you know, we talk, especially in the Obama administration, you know, coding, coding, coding. Everybody should learn to code, especially women, you know, girls coding. They have all these different things out there. We know that we have lots of people from overseas. We want more and more people coding and blah, blah, blah. Yet at the same time, always remember, don't, I went the whole way in school. But with that being said, I want you to always remember, never forget, there are phenomenal numbers of jobs out there that do not require a college degree. They're paying really good wages that are going unfulfilled because nobody wants to do them. Yeah. I mean, the prime example we've used for years is a boilermaker, you know, it has a lengthy apprenticeship and it's a skilled, it's a skilled physical labor job, but you can make a lot of money. It's a union job. And I think basically a, a, uh, a, whatever the graduated stage of a, basically a professional who has several years of experience can make upwards of $150,000 a year because nobody wants to do the work. Yep. So let's take a look at uh, number two here. Number two. One of the things that I think we need to kind of emphasize in this podcast is the fact that, yeah, SpaceX nailed it with technology, right? I mean, they did. Let's be honest. I mean, they nailed it. But one of the things they also had to do, they had to nail it in terms of manufacturing. They built those rockets. They put people together. It took welders. It took machinists. It took people who are laboring and had to, they had to nail it. Every seal, all the inspections, 
So it wasn't some kid sitting back and designing something theoretically. And on top of that, you had to have management that had to manage all of the egos because you know there has to be some huge egos in that in that f- facility. They had to manage all that, stay focused, and I think it was evident, that, you know, the success of the actual launch and the return of the rockets, but also the enthusiasm that you could feel that came through online, just all of it. I think you've got to give credit where credit's due. And I think that's one of the things I want to emphasize. There's a place for everybody out there. If you get too much of one thing, well, let's take coding. What, what years ago when I was a young guy, it, computer programmers made four or 500,000. I mean, my God, I mean, it was, it was your ticket to multimillionaire status. And then eventually a lot of people started coding, right? So what are people making, for example, in Silicon Valley now? Uh, depending on different, depending on the situation. I mean, basically I think in Silicon Valley, there's kind of a cap on wages, generally speaking, um, anywhere between a hundred to $200,000 a year. And really anything above that is benefits and stock options. Yeah. And a hundred and a hundred to $150,000 in Silicon Valley is not like making a hundred, $150,000 in Oklahoma city. No, not at all. No, the cost of living in, in, uh, California, there is steep, not just when you count in living expenses, but also taxes play a, a big role. And a lot of those jobs are not permanent. They are truly gig jobs. You got a gig and... Depends. I mean, the, the, the people who make it, make it the best in Silicon Valley are people who are um, willing to move around a lot and, and understand... Basically, they understand investing. They understand their options. They understand how to play the game for the maximum benefit for options. They pick the right companies, they're doing the same thing that any sane investor does when they invest in individual securities. They're looking at all the basics. They request documents and information on how the company's health is doing. If a huge portion of their of their salary or compensation packages is uh, tied up with the company going public or some type of secondary market offering or whatever, they have to do the same type of due diligence that an investor does when they go to invest in, you know, ABC Lumber Corporation. It's a, it's, it's a big deal. And, you know, because a lot of these people, if you're a, you know, I, what, I don't know what they, there's several terms, but basically if you're a top 5% or top 10%, you know, software engineer or, or something out there, you know, you could have as much as 50% of your salary tied to, to options or, um, stock price or something like that. But, and those people make good money, but they're worth it, right? They can be. Yeah. I mean, well, why don't you real well, quickly, I mean, a good example. I mean, I can run, a, I can run a simple example. I remember seeing an interview with the head of engineering at valve, um, out of Seattle. They make uh, video games. They make the game distribution platform called steam, which anybody under 40 basically should know what that is. It's very, very, very popular. Um, they, I remember the guy gave a talk about how, uh, they had this engineer who was just, he was ridiculously efficient. He was very, 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 um, knowledgeable and he was very capable of solving problems, um, complex systems problems faster than anybody they had ever hired before. And they had hired him from somebody knew somebody and you know, it's how it always works. 
it's always you're, you're always they're always shuffling jobs based on relationships. I mean, that's just that's real life. It's 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 not this vacuum that they teach you in business school. In the in the world of programming, networking and relationships is the same as any other business. Yeah, there's. I mean, you you guys know each other. You're you're. I mean, you're all, it's, it's a small brotherhood, but not necessarily brotherhood. It's a small group of people that really know what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, it's you have you have that. Um, yeah, you you have the basic network that you have with any other type of business. It's not a. It's there. There is no such thing as a job where you're where you're judged purely based on your your abilities to do it. There's, there's all kinds of, um, preferential treatment that people get. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. It's real life. But so the, this guy, he, he got hired at valve and they were just amazed at his ability as his proficiency in being able to solve at this point. I don't remember what his, what his forte was, but he was just a, um, he was what they would call a 10 X engineer and he was very good. And he was thinking about leaving or doing something and they made the judgment and, Management at Valve is very good. It's lots of former Microsoft people and whatnot. And anyways, they decided that it's not a big deal. We This guy is more proficient than a team of 15 or 20 people in his ability to get things done. And if we have to pay him instead of $200,000 a year, we'll pay him $800,000 a year. We don't care because the cost to be able to get a comparable employee or problem solver is just really not there. I mean, how the, how the hell do you find somebody who's, who's as proficient as this guy if he's a one in a million type person? It's, you know, who cares? Give him, any, give him whatever he wants. And that was, their, that was their philosophy. And obviously they're still a private company and they've done very, very well for themselves. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's kind of a, it's, it's a strange thing in Silicon Valley because you don't always get... Um, people who understand these things. So they go to work at, you know, a company that may or may not be, uh, like a, a good example is, is if you were a original employee at Uber and you have these amazing options because you're employee number three or something and you have, wow, the company's worth potentially 90 or a hundred billion dollars at IPO. You have the, you had, you had these amazing options and you exercise most of them or you walked away from some cause you went on to another project People do all kinds of things, but maybe you've been watered down to a tenth or, or less of your position when you first started. When you first took that job, did you think to ask about, you know, I want shares that are not dilutable. What are the terms? Am I going to be compensated if they're diluted? Like there's a, there's a, if you're naive about how all of this works and you just are, you know, quite honestly, just a kid out of college and you, you just, you just take it as it goes you're not going to be as successful as somebody that knows what they're doing is going in because they know that this company actually has a lot of legs. The people that are running it, the idea is solid, you know, whatever. And then they, 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 they get a good deal. Um, lots of people get run over on the pro the March to an IPO. And I'm sure we'll see tons or probably dozens of stories of I should, I would, I could, I with, with, with Uber. You know, people didn't exercise options when they should have. I remember reading a story about Facebook years ago before they before they went and and w before they went public. This person talked about how they borrowed. They had their parents put get a second mortgage in their house so he could exercise his options because he knew somebody who didn't at a prior IPO and he would have been worth many millions of dollars 
All he had to do was pay taxes on it. You know, there are strange things you have to do. And ultimately what it comes down to, in, in my opinion, is just it's a business. And people, unfortunately, don't view it that way. And a lot of people get screwed over in, in that industry. Well, there was a movie. Was, was it Social Network? Is that what it was? The story of Zuckerberg when he first began and the Winklevosses and all that. Remember that movie that yeah, came out? Yeah. And that's what that was all about. It's like these guys never bothered to read their contracts. And you don't use the corporate attorney who is working for the primary owner to you, you got to do your own due diligence. Yeah, I mean, everybody is 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 an independent actor, and they have to do their own. They they have to work in their own interests. You can't just expect the company to be, to be, you know, acting in in everybody's best interest because they're acting for the shareholders. And ultimately, it, whatever they can do to get more of that company back from you, they're going to do. So the takeaway from this for everybody listening is this. I don't care if you're a professional athlete, you've been playing football since you were five and you're God's greatest gift to the pigskin. I don't care if you're an actor or actress who's now making 40, 50, 60 million dollars a move and you're knocking them out one after another. I don't care if you're the world's greatest programmer, you're in the 1% programming and you really know your stuff. Reality in life is everybody needs a real advisor who will help you go through and navigate these things. But it's more than just an advisor. You have to have an advisory team. And don't be suckered by these financial planners who say they can do everything for you. And you knew this guy when you were a kid. You were in fifth grade together, sixth grade. And this guy or gal, now they're the financial. They can, they can do everything. No, you got to have a team of attorneys, accountants, people that actually know how to read contracts and put these things together. And that includes... Listen, that includes you guys are doing programming. You, you're, you're sharp. You know what you're going. It's really cool. It's a big deal. But you got to put the right thing together. We're going to be back after one minute. And here we go. One minute intermission. You're listening to Connecting Dots. Connecting Dots is a production of Fixed Cost Financial, the home of Fixed Cost Investing. The way we do it, it's better, it's simple, and it works. And now, let's return to this episode of Connecting Dots. Number three. So let's talk a little bit about Boeing, and uh, headlines are the CEO says that they're going to make that 737 MAX safe with software, and I want to set the stage for this. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, one and all, I will tell you, I absolutely unequivocally, beyond exclusion of every reasonable doubt, believe that this, quote, artificial intelligence, self-driving, planes are going to fly themselves, this is a lot of hogwash Yes, we are getting more and more technology, but here's the thing. We talked earlier about that unmanned, that drone where, again, SpaceX landed one of those rockets, right? The center booster. But the technology that went into that in an area where there's nobody around out there in the ocean is completely different than driving a car with snow and sleet and rain and objects that are dark or light that don't get picked up, or street signs as some idiot decides to turn, twist, or they paint lines in the road that makes everything go sideways. Now, let's kind of connect a few of these things together. 
we talked about programming, right? We talked about there's a limited number of really good people that program. There's a lot of people that are average, very, very average. There's a lot of stuff in programming that you need done. That's just basic stuff, right? And um, literally the guy who comes down because you can't get your printer to work, who fixes things, you, it could be a programmer for all practical purposes, a technician, but a programmer anyways. But I think one of the problems we've got right now in the world is there's a finite number of people that really know what they're doing. So if you have an organization that's cool, Apple is cool, a lot of people want to work for Apple. They want to work for Google. They want to work for Alphabet. They want to work for Uber. They want to, but with Boeing, but with Boeing, you're not going to get the kind of stock options you're going to get with those other firms. You have this really sophisticated plane that apparently has software problems. Doesn't that make you kind of scratch your head and go, Ooh, ooh, there's a bigger picture here that we probably should think about. Yeah, the Boeing fiasco. I, I haven't looked into the details into it for probably a week and a half or two weeks now, but it's a conflicting series of, of, of details. Some things were pointing to a sensor issue. Others were pointing to a software issue. I believe it's probably somewhere in the middle um, in, in, in earnest, but fundamentally... The problem comes down to flying a plane is through, you know, automatically flying a plane is actually very easy because there's not a lot of stuff you have to avoid. Everything in the sky has to have a, um, has to have a GP, have not a GPS, but a, uh, radar tracking system. So it's easy to avoid collisions. It's not very crowded up there. I mean, there's a whole host of things. Yeah, I mean, you, you follow your flight plan. You have flight lanes. I mean, traffic in, in the air is just like traffic on the ground. I mean, you have your lanes of traffic. But it's more sophisticated than that yeah. because it's everything is pre-planned. There's, there's a lot of um, known quantities involved in a not very congested environment. And because of that, it's fairly easy to build a system as long as your pilots can take off and land and you can program the flights, flight plans into the, into the navigation systems, it's pretty easy to build a system. I mean, the, the first uh, fully automated or uh, uh, drone planes were experimented with, I believe, in the 1960s or early 70s. Yep. Uh, they set fire to, like, a, a hillside ranch community in California trying to shoot it down, one of the original testing ones. Uh, the Air Force had to send pilots up to go and shoot it down because it, it lost... They lost control of it. They've been testing this stuff forever. I mean, this is this is a very old science. Yeah, this is not new. And that's one of the things we all suffer from, you and I, to a far lesser degree than most people because of our forecasting backgrounds and capabilities. But everybody generally suffers from recency. It's like, oh, humans have already been around for a couple hundred years. Yeah, so, you know, when you think about just just the, a, a simple thing like a remote control. You heard plane. I said a couple hundred years, right? Yes, I did. And, and Abraham Lincoln fought you know, yeah, he vampires. fought vampires. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But the, but the, the, you know, if you think about drones, I mean, that, that's a fairly simple, simple problem to solve in comparison to, you know, fairly automatic pre-planned plane flying. And anyways, it's just, it's a very complicated series of systems on systems on systems. And the reality is this is probably just a situation of people didn't pay attention to the details and, you know, they screwed up. But, you know, it translates into other stuff, too. I mean, you know, you got Lockheed has the same problems. 
with the F-35 program. And I want all of you to remember something real quickly. And then my, my son here is an, an amazing, has amazing knowledge about the, the F-35. I want him to talk a little bit about that, give you the history, and then we'll talk a little bit about what happened going on in Japan. And by the way, only because I'm, I've got a brain lock, where else was there? We lost an F-35, some other country that is having a cow over it. Is it? Uh, I don't know. I, I'm not aware. Was it Spain? Germany? I, I, I mean, all I know is there, there's been several pilots who have, have died or nearly died from very preventable problems. You have a plane that is, there, there's a great video of, a, I can't remember the guy's name, Spear or something along those lines, who was one of the lead designers of the, I think, F-18 and F-16. Um, he has this great video from probably 10 years ago now on YouTube and he gave an interview about why the F-35 is just, it's, it's dead on arrival for a series of, of, of very fundamental reasons. Basically, Lockheed developed a derivative of their stealth program, this, this fantastic plane. I can't remember. It was like the X-15 or, or they, they, have, they have the experimental plane project out of uh, Skunk Works that was this, this plane. It was the X-15. And they, you know, fundamentally, it's a, it's a very interesting plane. It's very capable, but it, it's, it's not capable at the jobs that they want it to be doing. And, you know, you have to have separation of, of duties or roles. You can't develop, you cannot develop a, an electric hybrid, uh, gas electric hybrid uh, sedan that can also pull an 18-wheeler trailer, and carry uh, 12 people like it's a clown car all at the same time. That's just an impossibility of engineering. So if you want to do that, you have to make extremely crazy and weird compromises. Um, the Air Force, the Navy, and the, the Marines, and the Army all have different mission requirements as far as what they want their planes to do. The Navy always wants two engines because they fly over water. Um, the Marines want short or vertical takeoff and landing. Um, the Army has different things that they want. The Air Force, of course, doesn't care. They would just want the fastest plane. Um, they, the different roles that it's supposed to do, to do, it's supposed to be able to do close air support. It's supposed to be able to be a bomber. It's also supposed to be able to be a fighter. It's supposed to be able to do um, all of these just completely contradictory roles that no one plane can do both. I mean, a perfect example is you have a, a plane that's you know fairly simple by by today's comparison. You have the the A10 um, Warthog. It's it's not even a jet engine. It's a turbine engine airplane. Um, but it only does two of those roles, but it does the two very well. It reminds me of the old phrase, you can have it cheap, you can have it fast, or you can have it, um, was it cheap, fast, or... Uh, <laughs> you know, or it works. <laughs> uh, that's what it was, uh, quality, cheap, or fast. Yep. You can only have two, and, and it's really true. I mean, you know, it can be cheap, and it can be fast, but it's not going to be very good. You can have it cheap, and it can be really good, but it's probably going to take you a long time. You got to ship it from China. Well, uh, you know, one I'm, guy worked on it. I'm know? actually glad you said that because it, it kind of relating just real quickly to our firm, fixed cost financial and the way we do fixed cost investing. We're cheap. We're, we're we got a great price and anybody says otherwise is nuts. 
Number two, um, it's good, but we're not as fast. We're not day traders. We're not trying to trade. We, we're process-based investors, well, it's, it, uh, and it's very methodical. Well, in our situation, I would say it also. I, I would say it's it's not about it's not about fast. It's flexibility. You don't have the same type of, you know flexibility there's not going to be someone here to do your taxes for you like right. other places will and that's a consequence of of the, the, the cost element being being a priority well part of what we do here in connecting dots is put together things that i think people actually have told us they really appreciate our, our podcast because we're making people think outside the box in fact anyone who knows me and and years ago when i was at the public policy institute at a uh, nice little uh, college here in town I um, had a gentleman say to me, uh, in fact, it was a former chief of police of an of a urban department, said, if, if you know Paul Truesdell, he doesn't think outside of the box. He begins with the philosophy that the box doesn't exist, which drives everybody nuts. And I have no problem with that. That's, 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 that's what makes us different from everybody else. And so one of the things that we do is Paul is very knowledgeable about, for example, the F-35. We talked about that because one of the things we have is our military procurement investment silo. And... In there, we pay real careful attention to how these companies are performing. I'm not going to give you the details on it. If you're interested, call us at 212-433-2525. Go online to fixedcostinvesting.com. Use intercom. Use whatever. Get online. Get started. We'll be happy to talk with you. You can schedule a telephone consult with one of us. But the bottom line is it's the warthog makes that, that hideous noise that fires these. Uh, what, what's the round again? What's the shell? It has a 30 millimeter cannon. Yeah. And it, it, it sounds like it just it, it sounds like it's burping up there. And all these these things. This is a ugly. It kills people and destroys things. It's just an amazing thing. But the, the the what I find is utterly amazing is that we need something called a light attack aircraft, a light attack plane. And the Air Force has wanted, of course, John McCain's dead. He hated the Warthog. He loved the S-35 and, and blah, blah, blah. We're not going to get into that. But they just said that um, we're not going to do any more testing or any more, uh, we're not going to look for a new Allied attack aircraft. And we've spent millions and millions of dollars on, for example, two companies, Sierra Nevada. They have the Embalmer. Uh, the 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 embalmer, and then you have uh, Textron, and they have what the, the Wolverine. And if you go online and look at pictures of these things, I mean, these are absolutely critically needed planes, old-fashioned propellers, stable in in environments where, like, say, you got a you know a marine recon team, and they need to have support. I mean, these are things that maybe you and I could fly without with a couple of hours of instruction, and off you go. But it's not sexy. It's old school. It does a job like the Warthog, but we got to have that F-35. And now we don't even know where the damn thing is off the coast of Japan. Yeah, I, f the, I find it amazing. Yeah. So, so I was kind of walking towards the, the problem that it's, it's a, the, the F-35 does tries, it, it's a Swiss army knife. It is a plane that is, that it, it Potentially, it tries to do everything, but it's not very good at anything. And the worst part about it is because of that, and it's constantly changing mission requirements, it is literally a plane that is being built. The hardware is being built, but it's still in beta. They are still always changing things. 
the software, the, the parts on it, they're always fixing things and changing things. At the same time, they're fulfilling orders to overseas uh, partners and, and customers like Japan and England and others who are receiving a plane that basically isn't done. Um, it's really one of the most asinine things that I have, I have ever witnessed. Well, it's embarrassing. And the best part about it is that this program has been going on since uh, somewhere around uh, two, plus or minus two to three years after I was born. It's been, it, this thing has literally been going on since the mid-90s. It is one of the, it's just ridiculous. It is designed by committee, and it's just, it's complete crap. And now we have the Japanese who have these planes. Apparently, they've taken delivery of them. I would have refused them personally. Um, but they've taken delivery of them, and they're testing them and flying them and doing what you're supposed to do with them. And they lost one on radar the other day, and they apparently found the plane, but they have no idea where the pilot is. And so we're still trying to find the Japanese military pilot who flew this thing. You know, again, one of the things we want to talk a little bit about is there's efficient and effective technology, and then there's technology that's not all that efficient and effective. And one of the items I want to talk a little bit now and move into is Uber that went public um, today, actually. Number four. So Uber's gone public. Uh, went public. Went, wait, Uber went public. When did Uber, Uber has, has filed. They've, they've amended their IPO filing with yep. their numbers. They, are, they have not gone public yet. Uh, hang on a second. Lyft went public. Um, yeah, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, my, my mistake. I was actually thinking about Lyft where the stock price has been kind of fluctuating. I don't know why I did that. Okay, so we're all human. <laughs> it is what it is. But let's talk about these, these uh, they call them ride-hailing applications, ride-hailing services. You've got uh, Uber, you've got Lyft. Here's the thing. Um, you're a programmer. You're the chief technology officer at our firm. i got to ask you a question. Honest to God, is it really all that difficult to create an application for a group of vehicles that are driving around, people are driving? Where I mean, could, couldn't you kind of do this yourself if you wanted into an area? It's not a simple thing to do, but it's not incredibly complicated. It's um, not a wide moat? Yes, I would say it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a strange situation because it's not a business with an extremely wide moat for the simple reason that most people use these ride-sharing applications in the area in which they live. So because of that, there's not a lot of um, preferential, um, there's not a lot of brand loyalty to a foreign competitor that comes into your area if you have a domestic competitor that is just as good or close. Which is what Uber learned when they tried to go into China. Exactly, yeah. China, they got a little bit of traction, and then Chinese competitors popped up everywhere they went and just ate their lunch. And I think, actually, that is something that could quite literally occur more and more. Um, again, we didn't prepare for this. We just kind of spitballed this this evening. But uh, uh, San Antonio... Uh, didn't San Antonio pretty well tell Uber to get out? Austin. Um, Austin, that's right. Why do I always, as a native Texan, I always get Austin and San Antonio pass backwards. I don't know why I do that all the time. Well, tell, what was with Austin? Austin basically said, we're not doing this. Yeah, they, they banned Uber using dubious explanations and just kind of, you know, as, as, as a spectator, it was, and a, and a, someone who is highly critical of, of the way the government operates. It was just standard government cronyism. But 
it does make a lot of sense to to you know uh, create a, a local ecosystem of, of technology and support I mean having somebody a foreign or or you know in the case of you know Texas you know or a Texas city having a, a California company come in and basically run your public transportation is not very cool I mean I would be I wouldn't be so happy about that but any in any case I think it makes a lot of sense um, they did that, and now you have, as far as I'm aware, there's at least last time I saw there were two or three major players. It may have consolidated now, but uh, local companies that were doing ride sharing, and um, you know, I could see a future where Uber and Lyft kind of get smacked around quite a bit, and you have this network of independent kind of ride sharing apps that exist as um you know a, a independently operated but coordinated so that you know you you could uh use the right app for the right city type thing and you know i, I could definitely see a future where where there's a lot more independents that are networked to get together versus having one big massive conglomerate that runs the thing but but regardless i think it's very interesting um that this is a this this ends up not being a a very sophisticated um item to replicate despite all the money that they've poured into this company. So let's tie a couple of these things together. We talked a little bit about uh, the uh, Lockheed and their F-35. We talked about Boeing and we talked about the software glitch. We talked about how you have politics that seems to always enter into things. We have an issue involving Uber, for example, and uh, being told, uh, you don't quite make what we want to have happen here in our city of Texas. And then you have, you know, we talked a little bit about, um, again, SpaceX and technology and brain drain. We talked a little bit about, you know, kind of a gig economy. What kind of observations would you have for those who are listening, kind of tying this together, and then we'll call it a night and get out of here? Well, I think everything we've talked about is comes down to one thing there's only so much you know highly skilled labor to go around um people can do all kind they can come up with all kinds of schemes immigration or pay package schemes or you know all kinds of stuff but at the, at the end of the day there seems to be a very limited quantity of people that can do certain very technical things at, you know, and actually execute them. Um, and it, and you know, it, it also has to do with, you know, good management, good work environments. And, you know, at the same time you, you have fluctuation and change. And, and then, you know, my second takeaway would be that these incredibly complicated systems, as, as time goes on, we are living in a world that's not just a s systems, it's systems upon systems upon systems. It's ab it's multiple abstractions of complicated systems and processes on top of each other, and when they're not operated properly, um, it can cause a domino effect of of epic proportion, as we see with a software problem with Lockheed, a software problem with, um, with a, a Boeing. But at the same time, when you have a simple software system, it's not advantageous for for big business because if you look at Uber. 
if there was some more complicated problem to what they were doing, they wouldn't have the competition that they do. So there's, there's, there's trade-offs. There's a, there's a positive and there's a negative to having complicated systems. Entrenched players love their big complicated systems. Entrenched players also love regulation, don't they? Yes, they do. Because and why they, is that? They can afford to deal with the regulation. It increases their moat. It increases the cost to be a competitor with them. And that's always that's 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 been a, a complaint about government regulation since the beginning, but it plays out, and it's kind of obvious when you have companies like Facebook begging to be regulated. Well, with that, what do you say we uh, kind of wrap this up and do a couple of quick things real quickly? On the 23rd day of April, I'll be in Orlando at a Network After Work event at uh, Bitters and Bottles on uh, North Orange Avenue. You get a chance, go there. I go to quite a few of those things. I enjoy it, meeting some nice people. In fact, we may be doing some um, interviews. So if you're listening and you go there, you may be one of my guest interviewers when we get there. We'll be in Tampa on the 24th. That's uh, Wednesday. And we'll be at McDinton's Irish Pub and Restaurant on South Howard Avenue. Been there before, really nice place. On the 25th, if you're in the Ocala metropolitan area, we'll be doing a meetup here at our office in our uh, corporate boardroom. And it's all about podcasting for business, news, and fun. Again, that is something we've just started. And then on the 21st of May, I'll be in Los Angeles at uh, Birds and Bees, which is a uh, specialty cocktail place. It's all brand new, man. This thing is really cool. And it's at uh, South Broadway, and uh, the it's called the South Broadway Basement in Los Angeles. I'm looking forward to doing that. With that, we are done. We are out of here. Okay, that's a wrap for this episode. If you have a comment or an idea, call 888-629-7864. That's 888-629-7864 and leave a message. We truly appreciate your ideas and comments. Thank you for joining us today. This podcast was produced by Fixed Cost Financial, the home of Fixed Cost Investing. Fixed Cost Financial is a true fiduciary-based investment advisor, where you will not pay more, if you have more, or receive less, if you have less. The way we do it, as a true fiduciary, it's better, it's simple, and it works. You can find Fixed Cost Financial online at FixedCostInvesting.com. That's FixedCostInvesting.com.